this morning is Mark chapter 9, verses 38 through 41. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop them because he did not follow us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able to soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. You may be seated. Thank you, brother. Thank you, Jeff, and thank you, Seth, very much. We're thankful for both of you gentlemen. Thanks also to the Russells in the sound booth and those outside with security. We're grateful for all of you. Mark 9, 38 through 41 is where we're going to be, so if you haven't made your way there, go ahead and turn there or find that verse on your device. Let me go ahead and pray for us before we get started and ask for God's help with this. Will you bow with me, please? Father, I'm so grateful for the fact that you've brought these people here this morning. I pray, Father, that you would please speak to each one of us. And each one of us, Lord, are in different places, but we are all going to be hearing the same truth. And that same truth will minister to each one of us, Lord, no matter where we are. And I pray that it would do that. Lord, your word that you send forth to accomplish your purposes will not return void. I pray, Lord, draw sinners to yourself this morning. I pray also, please build up your church. In Christ's name we pray, amen. When we were missionaries in Central America, what I found, and I knew this before we even went, but what I found was there were very few um, Bible-believing, Christ-centered, gospel-preaching churches. There just weren't very many of them there which is one of the reasons why we went there to do the work that we did. As you all might recall, I taught and trained pastors and church leaders in the Bible and in theology with God's help because I saw that there was such a deficiency of good, healthy churches. Now, the reason why there was such a lack of good, healthy, Bible-believing, Christ-centered, gospel-preaching churches is because there was a huge lack of Bible-believing, Christ-centered, gospel-believing people. So when we found people there like that, and when we found churches there like that, it was cause for such joy in my heart because there were so few of them. And what that did in me was that began to change me from less and less of a fault-finding Christian with other brothers to a rejoicing Christian with other brothers. I remember before going to the States, of course, I was in seminary, and I was at a Baptist seminary, not only a Baptist seminary, but the flagship seminary of all the Southern Baptist seminaries. It was the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. It was the first of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminaries. And, well, we were proud of that. What that can create in someone, though, 
is this mindset of only the Southern Baptists are doing it right. We see this in many churches, many denominations even. They think we're the only ones who are in, and if you're not in, you're out. And if you're not us, you're them. And if we're not careful, we can slip into that. So I'm actually very thankful that the Lord put us in a land that was so empty of Bible-believing, Christ-centered Christians for a season because that made me, when I came out of that and came back to the States, it made me so much more thankful when I found someone who was Bible-believing, Christ-centered, and gospel-believing, even if we differed in other areas, which we'll talk more about later because we have to have a proper balance there, right? I've titled the message this morning, Competition or Companion? Competition or Companion? How do we view other Christians if they differ from us slightly? How did the disciples view this other gentleman, though he differed from them slightly? We're going to unpack this as we walk along. Now, I want to remind you where we are in the book of Mark and also in the chapter of Mark chapter 9. This is the second time we see that Jesus has pronounced his death, burial, and resurrection. We said it's going to happen three times, remember? It's already happened once in chapter 8. It's happening again in chapter 9. It's going to happen a third time in chapter 10. And there's a pattern. We said each time he pronounces his death, burial, and resurrection, there's a failure on the part of one of the disciples or many of them. Then there's a teaching on discipleship. Well, that's where, we're, that's where we are in Mark chapter 9. We're still in that section of teaching on discipleship. We began it last week when Jesus was trying to teach them what actually makes for true greatness. Remember last week, they were arguing about which one of, which one of them was the greatest, and Jesus taught on true greatness. Now we're going to see John, the apostle, he changes the subject a little bit. Jesus chases this rabbit trail with them, though. He entertains this changing of the subject and still uses it to teach them something else about discipleship. What we're going to see, though, next week is then Jesus will jump right back on the topic of the child that he held up last week in his arms and taught them something about true greatness. If you didn't hear that one from last week, cfgadston.com forward slash sermons. You can hear that one. Um, We're still teaching on discipleship here. Even though one of the disciples really just changes the subject. Let's just be honest. That's what he does. Jesus has this child in his arms and he's teaching them about true greatness. Remember that? We're still in the house, I'm guessing more than likely. We haven't changed it. The text hasn't told us otherwise. And then all of a sudden, (laughs) John says, teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to stop him. I don't know if the topic was getting a little bit too pointed on the disciples and their faults. I don't know, but, G- but John just completely changes the topic. So I want to tell all of you in here something. As a pastor, I'm used to this. As someone growing up in your faith, maybe you're just starting to share your faith more. 
The more you get Bible saturated, it's just going to start to ooze out of you in conversations. And that's what we want. You should be known as the, the Bible girl or the Bible guy. or I mean, people just should know that, oh, he's coming around. We're going to hear something about the Bible. We're going to hear something about Jesus. And that's not a put down. But let me just go ahead and tell you. Let me, let me invite you into the circle here. If you're going to start telling people about Jesus, get ready for people to change the subject. Jesus and Bible makes sinners uncomfortable, okay? I don't purposefully, um, I'm not ashamed of the fact that I'm a pastor at all. I'm so thankful. But what I've noticed is, Pam, what I've noticed is this. When I bring up that I'm a pastor in conversations, people, people change. They start to change the way they talk to me. It kind of gets weird and uncomfortable, so I don't just jump right into that. Like, excuse me, um, where can I find? I'm trying to find the black beans. What aisle are they on? By the way, I'm a pastor. I don't just jump right into it. So know this, church. If you start becoming known as a Christian who's not ashamed of his or her faith and who's going to talk about it, I'm not saying you push it down people's throats. Know this. People are going to want to get the conversation off something very quickly onto other people. Okay? Onto other people. You're going to talk about sin, and they're going to say, oh, isn't, isn't Joe Biden so bad? Or, oh, isn't LeBron Jan- oh, just what he said recently? Or, oh, you know what? I've got this neighbor, and it's going to happen. And it's not new. The woman at the well did it. John the Apostle's doing it. Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. Jesus uses this moment as another teaching moment. He entertains it and still uses it. We saw someone casting out demons in your name. Let me tell you about what we witnessed, Jesus. Let me tell you about what we saw with our eyes here. We saw someone casting out demons in your name. We tried to stop him. And then he says why they tried to stop him. Because... He was not one of us. Well, first of all, what was the man doing that they saw? What was he doing? He was casting out demons in Jesus' name, we're told. He was casting out demons in Jesus' name. There's a verse in Matthew, Matthew 12, 28. Matthew 12, 28. Jesus is being accused of casting out demons by the devil, by the prince of demons. They, they say, you cast out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. And Jesus starts to talk about something. And in talking about how he cast out demons, he, he tells us how he does it. Watch this. Um, he says, but if I, but if it is by the spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. He tells how he does it. By the spirit of God. But if if it's by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom has come upon you, is what he says to the people. So we know how this work can be done. It can only be done by the power of the Spirit, by the power of God, even, even in Jesus. So if this man is casting out demons in Jesus' name, then he has the Spirit of God. He's doing it by the power of the Spirit of God. Now we know 
that you can't just throw the name of Jesus out there without the Spirit of God on your side and do the same work, right? Who remembers what happened to the seven sons of Sceva in the book of Acts? Remember what happened to them? They tried to do the same work. They tried to cast out demons, evoking Jesus' name. Let's look what happened to them. Who remembers Acts 9, 19, 13 through 16? I'm going to read it to you. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. So if this man is actually casting out demons in Jesus' name, and it's actually working, he has the Spirit of God. He's doing it by the Spirit of God, and therefore he has the approval of God. Otherwise, we see what happens when you try to do it and you don't have the approval of God and you don't have the Spirit of God. We, we see the opposite here. So John says, Lord, seeking for approval, I think. I don't, I don't know why John would have brought this up otherwise. He's seeking approval. We tried to stop him. And then he says why. Look at the end of verse 38. We're back in Mark 9 now. Because he was not following us. All right. We've got to figure out what the disciples' true concern is. Or, well, we really can only guess because we can't read their minds, but we can maybe try to guess what was their main concern here. Apparently, they apparently thought uh, they were the only true followers or the only ones who had the right to do God's work in Jesus' name. They either thought, we're the only ones. We're the only followers of you. There are no others, like real ones. There's, we see some coming and going, but we're the real ones. Or they thought that they were the only ones who had the right to do it. Yes, there's other followers, but, but we're the only ones who can, who can do this work. Where it's interesting because, remember just a few, cha- a few paragraphs before this, Jesus comes down the mountain And what were they not able to do for the demon-possessed young man? They were not able to cast it out. Remember that? And Jesus said, this one goes out only by prayer. And then here's one actually casting them out. And they said, whoa, wait a second. We better stop that. Don't you know who we are? Haven't you heard of us? It's all over Twitter and Facebook. You should have heard of us. We're the twelve who Jesus handpicked, son. And so, you'd better stop. Again, we can only guess their real motives. We don't know. But we do know this, what Jesus says to them in verse 39. He does not approve of it. Look at verse 39. Jesus said, do not stop him. And then he says, why? That's what it means when he says, for. For is like saying, because. Do not stop him, for. 
No one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. Was, was that also one of their concerns, perhaps, that this man was doing this, and then later on he was just going to turn on Jesus later on. He was going to speak evil of Jesus later. Was that their concern also? Like, he's not one of us. You didn't handpick him, so he might not stick around. So we don't want him doing this stuff in your name, and then may, maybe later on speaking evil of you, making you look bad. Was that their motive? Again, we don't know. But we do know Jesus said, stop doing that. Don't do that. And I'll tell you why. This mighty work he did, he said it's a mighty work. I'm, I, that's what he's giving reference to here when he says, no one who does a mighty work in my name. And I would agree. Casting out a demon is a mighty work. It's substantial, we would say. As far as miracles go, demon exorcism, I would put it up towards the top, wouldn't you? It's a mighty work. No one who does a mighty work in my name will soon afterward be able to speak evil of me. And then he builds a further case on top of this case with verse 40. For, again, the one who is not against us is for us. One who's not against us is for us. Um, he's essentially saying if he's got the truth right and if he's believing in me properly this would be the only reason that the Spirit's upon him if he's believing the truth of the word of God and has the Holy Spirit's approval then he's not against us he's for us and it's interesting because he says for the one who is not against us is for us. But we need, to, we need to balance this out. Because if this is all we had, I promise you, it would get twisted, it would get changed, and men would see it as a loophole. Because I want you to think about this phrase for a second. Look at it. For the one who is not against us is for us. Now, I've got some non-Christian friends. They're not against Jesus. They don't, they don't hate me. They know I'm a Christian. They respect me. But they're not, they're, not, they're not against him. So they might look at this and say, I like this verse. I'm, I'm not against Jesus. So he says, I'm for you. I'm not a Christian. Listen, I respect Christians, he might say. I respect the work y'all do all around the world. The missionaries that go to these different places that are really hard to work in, I respect that. Missionaries that sell everything they own to go live in a hut in Africa and do hard work, I respect that. Building hospitals, building schools, giving good medicine to these people, digging wells. I respect you Christians. Y'all do a great work. I'm not a Christian. I'm not against Jesus. I mean, he's probably a great guy. He said some great things. So I love this verse. I'm not against you all. And so Jesus says, I'm, I'm for you all. You should welcome me into the family. Jesus is for me. We have to balance this out. We have to take all of Scripture into account because man will find a loophole. Man will find ways to get off the hook. He's really great at that. You and I are really wonderful at justifying our sins, justifying our behavior, justifying our thoughts. We're masters at it. 
Because if we don't do that, then we're laden with guilt. So we have to find ways to get ourselves off the hook. But no man gets off the hook. Not when it comes to his sin. Not when it comes to not believing on Jesus Christ. Because he still has his sins upon him. Let's balance this out now. Look at these verses. Matthew 12, 29 and 30. It's interesting because this is what came right after what Jesus just said about casting demons out by the Spirit of God. The kingdom of God has come upon you. Then he mentions these two verses. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he, unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. He's talking about himself binding demons because that's the context there. Plundering the demon's goods, rescuing people from demon possession. But then he mentions something that I believe ties back to these Pharisees who were accusing him of of doing wrong. He says this in verse 30, whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. So I want to put our two verses right on top of each other. I made a slide for you guys here for, for verse 40. Because in our verse 40, I just changed the wording slightly. Our text says, for the one who's not against us is for us. I just changed it to me because he's referring to himself, really, in connection to all this. So notice that's our, that's our phrase on the top. The one who is not against me is for me. And I said, hey, man could use that as a loophole. I don't hate Christians. I'm just not a Christian. But there's also another text that says this, that balances this out. The one who is not with me is against me. So it's not just enough to say that I'm not against Jesus. Are you with Jesus, though? Are you with him? Because if you're not a Christian with him, you are, in fact, against him, is what the other text says. Scripture interprets Scripture. And we have to take all the Scripture into account here. And so both of these are true. They're both true. Because they're both inspired scripture, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, from the heart of God himself, to man, to us, to believe and to follow. The one who is not against me is for me, but also the one who is not with me is against me. If you're not with Christ through repentance and faith, connecting yourself to him, forgiving your sins because of what he did for you, you're in fact against him. The one who is not against us is for us, Jesus says. So this man was not against Jesus. That's the point he's making here in verse 40. He's not against us, you 12. You tried to stop him. Because he's not one of you 12. But Jesus says, I'm telling you right now, he's not against us. He's for us. I want to let you all know, I have some very close friends my two best friends in this country um, are not Reformed Baptists. I have one, in fact, who's a Presbyterian. I have another who leans more towards um, an Arminian view of salvation, but he is one of my best friends. Both of these men have the gospel right, though. 
Both of these men have the gospel right. Yes, one, one sprinkles babies. <laughs> I love them very much. And I would want those two men on my side when it comes to fighting the gospel battles in this world. I would choose those two like that. But we differ on some issues. We do. But I am so happy for the work that they're doing. They're both involved in ministry, and I'm so grateful. And help them even do that ministry. There was a time, I remember R.C. Sproul's ministry once. It's called Ligonier Ministries. I remember them calling me once. This is years ago because um, I read some of their publications and went to some of their conferences and things like that. And I remember one of them calling, one of the workers there calling and basically asking for a donation. Would you be willing to help with this and that? And I told her over the phone, I don't feel comfortable with that because we're Baptist and you're Presbyterian. And she was very gracious and kind and tried to tell me we have a lot more in common than we have different. And I eventually did end up supporting their ministry. But in the very beginning, I was very us and them. If you're not in, you're out. I don't think I would have said R.C. Sproul was out, but I didn't feel comfortable enough to give money to his ministry. Now, gladly, so thankful. My three favorite preachers are R.C. Sproul, John MacArthur, and John Piper. Do you know they all three have different end times views? All three. Each one of them has a different view of the end times. And they loved each other. R.C. Sproul passed away, as you know. Um, they were very tight. Spoke at each other's conferences. Loved each other. I want you to see people that have the gospel right as companions and not as competition. Let me show you this slide I put for how do you know if they have the gospel right. Well, I put this together because these are kind of the basics. Number one, we all must believe if you've got the gospel right, you're going to believe that mankind is sinful. He's separated from God. He cannot save himself. It's one of the first things that you have to believe. His heart is darkened with sin, as it were. You also must believe, if you've got the gospel right, that God, the Father, sent his son, Jesus Christ. This son lived a perfect sinless life, never did anything wrong, and he perfectly kept the law. That's very important. And when you say he's sinless, that is kind of implied with that, isn't it? You also must believe that Jesus Christ died to take the punishment that sinners deserve, shedding his blood, was buried, rose again from the dead. You must believe that, too, if you've got the gospel right. And in doing that, he procured salvation for all who would believe. You also must believe, if you've got the gospel right, that how you get that on your account is through repentance and faith. You've got to turn away from your sins, confessing those to God, and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your forgiveness, not in any of your own works. When you do that, you can be forgiven of your sins and you can be counted as right with God, righteous with God, and a child of God. For as many as received him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. 
These things, I would say, constitute what a Bible-believing, Christ-centered, gospel-believing Christian needs to believe in order for me to feel comfortable enough to say, you've got the gospel right. Now, there's going to be some differences on how some people think we get in the kingdom. I get that. We're all growing. You're going to, have, you're going to put a different emphasis on the sovereignty of God when it comes to man's salvation than perhaps your other Methodist brother. Okay? And there are times for lovingly challenging one another with, well, what do you do with this verse? What do you think about this? Well, how do you balance out this with this in a loving way? I'm so thankful my friend, one of my friends who I told you, who's a Presbyterian now. He was actually a Baptist back then. He's a Presbyterian now. I still love him very much. He's the one who started challenging me when it came to God's sovereignty. He's the one who started challenging me with things like predestination and election, and I'm so glad he did. I was angry as a hornet when he was doing it, but I eventually could not get away from certain verses in Scripture. John 6, Romans 9, Ephesians 1. I had not wrestled with these. He forced me to wrestle with them. I didn't win. I had to succumb to those truths. (laughs) So there's a time for lovingly challenging other brothers in the faith. What do you do with this? Now, you say this. What about this, though? Have you thought through this? There's a time for that. So what I'm not saying is, hey, if they believe the gospel, they're good. Just don't ever try to cause them to grow in the faith. Because we all know that once they grow in the faith, they will be Reformed Baptists, and they will want to attend our church. But until they do, we still love them, don't we? Yes, we still love them, even though they're not sitting in these chairs. Once they grow up enough, they, they'll be with us. But until then, we'll, we're patient with them. For those listening online, I'm saying this with a smile on my face. This is all tongue-in-cheek. But what I am saying is this. If they're not against us, they're for us, is what Jesus says. They have the gospel right. I am happy because there's so many who have the gospel wrong. And this is what you and I need to realize. You need, you need to get this. If they have the gospel right, be very thankful. Erwin Lutzer on the radio, Charles Stanley on the radio, I differ with them on things, okay? But you know what? Both of those men have been faithfully preaching the true gospel for over 30 years. That's I look up to those men. We differ on some things today. I would even say are important, but they have the gospel right. They're brothers, and I'll see them in heaven, and I'm grateful for their ministries, very grateful for their ministries. Listen to what Jesus says in verse 41. For truly I say to you, whoever gives a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Now, notice the contrast here. I don't know if you picked up on what Jesus did. We go from a mighty work to giving a cup of water. This is intentional. Jesus purposely went from big to even just giving a cup of cold water. There are, of course, many who think, like I think they were thinking, we're the only ones who can do works like this. 
These big mighty works, we're the only ones who've been given authority by Jesus to do these things. After all, he did give us authority to cast these demons out and send us out, and they came back doing that. Do you, do you all remember that? I think it was from Mark 6 or um, 7, perhaps. Jesus gave them authority over demons, and, and they were going to all over the land, and they came back, and they were like, oh, even the demons are subject to us in your name. So maybe they were thinking, you know, we're the only ones who can do these mighty works. And the mighty works are what's significant and good and, and most important. You need to stop doing them. We're the only ones who've been given authority to do those. You're not of us. And Jesus goes much smaller. They're thinking big. And Jesus goes much smaller. For I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink, here's another because, because you belong to Christ, will by no means lose his reward. Jesus is saying, even if someone just gives you water to drink because you're of me, it shows that they're also with us and they're going to be rewarded for that. It's interesting. There's apparently rewards in the kingdom, not just for doing the big things, but even the small things. That should be encouraging to all of you. You might not think you do big things for the kingdom. Jesus says, there's rewards for small things. There's rewards for small things. Even if someone gives a cup of cold water to someone else because you're doing God's work. Here's a cup of cold water. Keep going. He's saying, you're with us and you're important and you're going to be rewarded. When I was studying this, looking at these different things, because the disciples did not know of these other people outside of their circle that were doing these things. And they said, we don't like this. You've got to be of us, or we're going to try to stop you. You know what this made me think about? This made me think about a time when there was a God follower who did not know there were any other God followers on planet Earth. And how he responded to this other God follower when he saw them. He responded very differently from how the twelve responded. Turn to Genesis 14 with me. Genesis 14, 17 is where we're going to be. Genesis 14, 17. Or it's on the screen behind me. Let me give you a little bit of history here. It's very interesting how Abraham, he's called Abram when we first see him. It's very interesting how he comes on the scene in the book of Genesis. Very interesting. Because you're reading about the Tower of Babel and then all these generations that came from these people. Do you read about Abraham's father and how he had Abraham and his brother? And then how the father died and then the brothers moved to a different land. And, and then all of a sudden, <laughs> all of a sudden in Genesis 12, let me turn there. I don't have that one in my notes. All of a sudden, God just starts speaking to Abraham. And if you were reading the book of Genesis through, and if you've ever read it through before, you'll notice that once you get to Genesis 12, first of all, the book starts to change um, its feel. We start to now focus on one man before we were focused on all, all these beginnings. Um, and then all of a sudden, we start to laser focus in on one man, Abraham, and God's dealings with Abraham. Then later on, Isaac and Jacob and the Joseph. But all of a sudden, it just hits 
in Genesis 12, 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your, kindred and your father's house to a land I'll show you. I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless those who bless you, make your name great so that you'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I'll curse. And in, all, and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And that just happens in the text. God just starts speaking to Abraham, presumably out of nowhere. We get no backstory to it. We don't know if Abraham was just relaxing, working, and God started talking to him. That's how the text makes it feel. All right? So all we know up to this point, all we know up to this point in the book of Genesis by this point is Abraham is the only God follower that we know of right now on planet Earth. Because prior to him, all we hear about is the Tower of Babel and God scattering people. And then God speaks to one man begins his relationship with him and begins to give him commands and he obeys. Then we get to Genesis 14. And as you know, Abraham and Lot, God was blessing them so much, they just had too much each. And so Abraham says, hey, you pick whatever land you want. If you go left, I'll go right. If you go north, I'll go south. Let's just separate. You pick whatever you want. And Lot, of course, looked over here and said, wow, this looks like the best land. I'll take it. Thanks, uncle. And he goes, living near and in, eventually, the land of Sodom, the town of Sodom. Well, there's a war. Lots of kings raise up against each other. Lot actually gets captured during this war. Abram finds out about it and goes to rescue his nephew Lot, and he's successful rescuing him. Well, after that rescue, and after, because Abraham did that, it chased off all the bad guys, the king of Sodom and some of the people come to Abraham. Abram, still called Abram at this point. And then this gentleman appears. Again, seemingly out of nowhere. Genesis 14, 17 through 20. After his return from the defeat of that place, I'm not going to try that name, and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shaveh, that is, the king's valley. And then watch this in verse 18. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said... Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. Abram's response was not this. God, I don't know if God's spoken to you. I know for a fact God has spoken to me and already made promises to me. Who do you think you are speaking about God Most High? I'm in. You're out. Here's the us, and you're the them. That was not his response. His response was, you're a companion. I'm thankful you're here. And he paid a tithe to him. Because look, Abram gave him a tenth of everything. You've got to understand this. This was the only other God follower on planet earth that Abram would have met at this point. Where did he come from? How did he get saved? How did God reveal himself to him? We don't know. We actually hear more about Melchizedek 
in the book of Hebrews than we hear about Melchizedek here. <laughs> we get more commentary on Melchizedek than we actually get history of Melchizedek. I don't know. I'm looking forward to hearing about that backstory in heaven. Aren't you? But what we see here, why did I bring this up? Abram had the right response. Abram looked at Melchizedek and said, Brother, let me bless you. Let me help you on your way. Let me give you a blessing. And what did Jesus say about giving blessings because they're with us? He said that they will not lose their reward, right? There's a reward in blessing those who are in the kingdom also and helping them. I get it. You can't hold hands with everybody that's a part of any ministry on planet Earth and walk off into the sunset with just anyone who says he or she is a Christian. I get that. But there are some that you can, even if they don't attend Christ Fellowship, even if they're not Southern Baptist, even if they're not reformed. And many of my reformed brothers and sisters would stone me for that. But it's the truth. Let me read this to you and we'll close with it. It's a good quote from Danny Aiken on this topic. He said this Allegiance to Christ will lead us to applaud and celebrate those on God's team, even if they are different from us. Amen. Allegiance to Christ will lead us to applaud and celebrate those on God's team, even if they're different from us, as long as they have the gospel right. We can applaud and be very joyous that we've met them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that you help us to see and know brothers and sisters are not competition. They are indeed companions. We pray that you would please help us, each one of us, all of us, all of our brothers and sisters on planet Earth, Lord, to be growing up in faith and in knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We always want to be becoming better and better in the truth that we know, loving it more, obeying it more, spreading it more. We all want to be growing up in the truth. So, Lord, please help us to invite the loving challenges from brothers and sisters in Christ that have a desire to help us grow and help us to be desiring to help them grow in a loving way. We all want to know more truth. Help us to continue to proclaim the truth, live the truth, love the truth, and we thank you for the truth, capital T, who you sent to save us. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.